0: The ministry of ellersley is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you if you have been personally impacted by ellersley's messages please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for jesus christ through gospel-centered discipleship visit ellersley.com to learn more now here's pastor eric ludy
1: the new lego collection i have boys uh and even my girls like legos so uh, I, it's weird, but this is a, a Greek word. It's a verb. The word is Lego, and I don't think, according to Hudson, this isn't where uh, the uh, Lego company got their term. I, I guess in I don't know what is Lego S- Swedish Su- Danish. It's okay, so it, like let's play or something like that. Uh, it, I don't I don't know if Hudson was here. He could. I know he's here. I just don't see him out there. But uh, the new Lego collections is actually, it is a play on words, but it is profound. It really is because the word is to speak or to say, that's the verb in the Greek. It's a very, very significant word. And if you know your Greek, you're going to know that this is actually the root verb because Hebrew and Greek are all based in verbs. This is the root verb for what we know as logos or logos, depending on how you pronounce it. The Greek way is logos, so if I'm going to sound intelligent to you. But that's the word for word. So the word was made flesh. It's Jesus. That's logos. This is the root for it. It's Lego. Isn't that cool? So talk, doesn't it sort of fit like Legos? It's like you build upon. And that's, that's one of the aspects of this message, which is really profound. But what at at the very beginning it's going to sound like i'm talking about speaking in tongues okay let me read the subtitle just to make uh stir some of you up understand what it means to have the fires of heaven take hold of the human tongue now when you hear that immediately we can think of speaking in a foreign tongue like we see in acts chapter 2. we see that the holy spirit comes and something happens inside of those that believe that are in that upper room, and they begin to speak in tongues that are not their own, and they may not even know what they're saying. They go into the cities of Jerusalem, but other people understand what they're saying, and they're hearing something. They're hearing about the amazing works of God, okay? So it's not that I'm not talking about that. It's just that I'm going beyond that. Because when you come to Christ, there is a change of ownership in your life. And the significant point of first occupation, in other words, the signal, when you set down that flag of owned property, the, you know, new uh, soldiers come in, they take a territory, they stick down the flag of occupation. It's like, for us as Americans, like the American flag goes down to say, this is now, uh, belongs to the U S of A. And that's the big moment of triumph. That's actually what euangelion really means, which is the term we, we use for gospel. It's the joyful proclamation of claimed territory. Boom! God has now claimed this territory, and the first signal, that flag in the human life, when this territory, the human body, is occupied by God Almighty, as he sticks down a flag, he grabs the tongue. That's how it starts. He says, this is now my body, and he proves it by taking the tongue. Okay, now that's what I'm going to walk through today, because how we utilize our tongue is of the utmost importance in the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm going to create a scale, a gradient scale, like we were going to say 1 to 10, right? And we're going to put the, the 0, the 1 way over here, and it's a beginning, it's a new formation of thought in your life. You are encountering the kingdom of heaven, but it's, it's dim at first. You're not fully seeing that much of it, but you see enough to be dangerous, enough to turn your life over to Jesus and say, this is his. And so in the very beginning, the tongue is occupied, it's taken by God, but it oftentimes is exercised in speaking mysteries. Groans, foreign tongues, like speaking in tongues, it's oftentimes the very first signal of God taking over a life. But then it moves into, so say uh, number three here, There's other exercises of this tongue that God intends. Now we get all the way up to like eight, nine, and 10. Teaching, preaching, evangelizing. So you notice that I skipped a whole bunch in between here, like three through seven. That's what I wanna talk about today. In other words, I'm not talking about speaking in in inarticulate tongues or foreign languages, because I'm I'm not against it. Any of you that have ever followed me for a while, No, I speak in tongues, even though I I, I do not run a church that necessarily expects that that is the norm always or that it is a, a necessity, I'm a big proponent of it. It's had a huge impact on my life and it has helped form three through seven and ultimately helped me with eight, nine, and 10. In other words, the functionality of a very clear word coming out mystery all the way to great clarity when you're leading someone to christ when you're preaching the word when you're teaching the word there is something at a very higher level this tongue is being used for when you're here speaking a foreign tongue it's not necessarily always even in the book in the book of acts you see them on the streets of jerusalem speaking in a foreign tongue it's actually a highly unusual use of it for most of you that would speak in tongues you recognize it's for private It's for the cultivation. It's like the exercise of the inner man to connect with the Spirit of God so that your thoughts do become clear and you do understand the truth so you can use this tongue in all the other ways from three to 10, to edify the world, to change it for the glory of Jesus Christ. So we have this in-between territory, three to seven, that I'm going to cover as we walk through this, which is gonna maybe seem a little odd because most people never talk about this. I shouldn't say never, it's just at the level I'm about to talk about it. But most of this has to do with prayer. Okay, three through seven is a form of prayer, but it also involves worship. It involves the use of this tongue to actually take these mysteries and begin to make them known in this world, but not always public, sometimes public, but it's the formation of that truth so that it's beginning to crystallize so that we are made ready to deliver what we have to a dying world. Lego, so it means, very simply put, to speak or to say. So to Lego is to reveal something and make it known through the use of words, to set forth in language and make it plain, to say it, speak it, teach it, exhort it, advise it, command it, direct it, call it, or tell it. When someone gathers words together and arranges these words into an intelligible, logical formation and then expresses these words through speech, this is the idea behind this word. So, rather important word, right? If you don't have this, you don't have much. The entire Bible and the history of what we understand as the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unfurling of the Messiah come to this earth is all done this way. So, imagine a man in love, and there's this attractive girl, and he has a desire to woo her heart and to have her fall for him. I mean, it's a great moment, right? Can't you hear the background uh, score with this? So how does he communicate the idea of this attraction? So he has a longing. He has a passion. He has a heart. What does he do? So his father says, son, you just need to let go. So that's a play on words. He's having funny with, fun with it because that's what his father does say. You need to let go. But what does that mean? That means you need to speak, right? You need to say it. So, but the son has other plans. He tries various new and novel methods to communicate his growing affections. He tries using facial expressions. I don't know that I should even try showing you what those facial expressions would be. That's that's where the smoldering gaze comes in. And uh, he tries using grunts, Hmm. okay? You guys can make your evaluation if you think this is gonna be effective, especially the young ladies in here. It's like if, if a man's trying to win you, just, just evaluate if this is going to be effective. He tries creating different smells, good and bad ones, and wafting them her way in a sort of Morse code. He tries throwing rocks. He tries pulling hair. And in a last-ditch effort, he tries crying. It's interesting, but a man has been gifted with something that if he doesn't wield it, it, it doesn't effectively communicate. You see, God had a a heart. He loved us so much that he gave something. He spoke. He spoke very clearly. He legoed. Isn't that an amazing thought? You see, this is how you communicate the depths of what's inside of you. God designed us to lego. It's only logikos. So that's that's Eric playing around with the Greek. You see, logikos is an extension of the word lego, and it means logical. Okay, that's actually how Paul even uses it in Romans 12. He says, okay, guys, this is the, your logical means of service, your logical means of worship. If this is true, then this is how you should respond. So it's, it's we need to let go, guys. Use this tongue to speak that which otherwise could never be seen. There is an unseen realm up there. And for whatever reason, God has awakened you. And that great mystery has begun to dawn on you. And as you've exercised it, you, it's become clear. Now speak it. Use this tongue for the glory of the king. God designed his creation by the spoken word and around the spoken word. So I'm going to give you a, even a more clear uh, description of that. God designed his creation by Jesus, the word, and around Jesus, the word. You see, when you speak, you lego, what you've spoken is Lagos. It's word, so God legoed, and what was produced was logos. This is how the world came into being. It was created by Jesus Christ, who is known as the Word, the logos. And what does it all reveal? It reveals the logos. It's all built around that. So this is a crucial dimension to how God has set up His infrastructure. This tongue, the action of speaking, of saying is extremely important in the entire fabric of his creation the way he designed us when he built us in his image he said this tongue matters how this tongue is used is of great import the gospel in lego god did lego and created everything by his logos and it is only logikos for us to logizomai the work of the logos our own Eric's just showing off here a little, okay? That's all I'm doing. You see, each of these words are critical in understanding the gospel. I just shared the gospel with you in Lego. Isn't that cool? Now, you don't know maybe what those words mean, but you know that Lego is to speak or to say. So God did speak and say, and he created everything by the word, Jesus. And it is only logikos, logical, for us to logizomai, which means to reckon, to believe, to take something as our own, the work of Jesus. You see, this is the gospel and it is all based on this idea that God did speak, he did reveal, and it is only logical that you would believe that which he revealed. It's actually how this word is used. This entire, this one verb is the cornerstone of the, not just the gospel but our interaction with it the Lego of Adam, the speaking of Adam. So Adam, something goes wrong in Adam. God created Adam to reveal his glory. But when Adam defied God, he disobeyed God, Adam was twisted, he was perverted. He's no longer what God intended him to be. And the first signal of that is this tongue of Adam no longer is speaking what it's supposed to. And as a result, the world is darkening. The relationships of Adam darken. Everything is sort of in a foul place now. James 3 describes this. But the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? It is not appropriate for this mouth this tongue to be used in Adam the way Adam would use it, which is set on fire by the fires of hell, and to have it also supposedly set on fire by the fire of heaven. You see, in the book of Acts, we see something, and God is taking the tongue of men and he's setting it on fire, but with a different source of fire. He's setting it on, uh, on fire by the Holy Spirit, no longer by the fires of the flesh, the desire to be self-justified. You know how many of us have misused this tongue? We could all raise our hand, but we might well, I might as well just say every one of us would need to raise our hand to acknowledge that we have misused this tongue. It is extremely easy to misuse this tongue. and It's fascinating, but it's extremely difficult to use it properly. We can know that we're supposed to proclaim the glory of God in this dying earth, and yet most of us keep our mouths shut. And we know that we're supposed to keep our mouths shut when we're offended and when we really want to say that juicy insult, and yet we speak that freely. What is wrong with us? We're exactly opposite of the way we're supposed to be, and that ought not to be. You see, the basis of Christianity is a transfer from the tongue of Adam, the Lego of Adam, to the Lego of Christ where we begin to utilize this tongue or allow our tongue to be utilized by the Holy Spirit to speak his words instead of our words. Our words are not what will change this world. It is the words of Christ that this world is dying to hear. Adam's Lego or Christ's Lego? Adam's speech, the way Adam would say it, or the way Christ would say it? You see, this tongue is right in the balance and how your tongue goes defines where your life goes how your tongue goes defines how your marriage goes how your tongue goes defines how your parenting goes how your tongue goes defines how your church goes you can apply it any way you want you can stick in whatever you want in there however any of you that have been in leadership you know the The amazing power of the tongue only increases when you gain position. And that's why we're held to a greater level of accountability with how we're handling this tongue because you can destroy someone's life. When you become a parent and you misuse this tongue, your words have greater impact than any other time in your life. Your spouse is extremely vulnerable to the words you speak. So as a result, there's a higher gradient of responsibility with every position of authority you get which is why we as a church should say you should not move up in authority in the church or in, in you're not ready for marriage if this tongue is still set on fire by the fires of hell. This tongue needs to be owned and occupied by Jesus Christ. And as a result, I want to start there. For some of us, we've traversed for many years, headed in a direction with a tongue that is still speaking brackish waters and out of it is coming salty water instead of fresh water. I want us to go back to that source, to that very beginning point and say, God touch us right here. So there's twos in scripture. I know many of you have heard me say this, but for the sake of uh, reminders, there's twos, a first and a second. Adam is a first. Jesus is called the last Adam or the second man when we are all born we are born in adam we are born in adam's condition adam is under a just penalty he has violated the law of god it's called the law of sin and death you sin you die he is under that law and there is a judgment that hangs over him and as long as we remain in adam we share in that just sentence of death but Jesus has come. The second man has come and has made a way that if we believe in him, we put off Adam and we get inside of Christ. And when we enter into Christ, we have his victory. We no longer have Adam's defeat. We have Christ's victory over sin and we are set free from all that held us down over here, the power of sin which constrained us. And one of the key things that the devil has over us is he has our tongue. He's basically saying, mine. And he has the tongue of men and women. And so one of the chief symbols of a changed life is that that tongue no longer belongs to the devil, but it belongs to Jesus. That's That's the tongue of Christ speaking. It's speaking words of life, words of hope, words of kindness, words of mercy, words that actually edify and strengthen as opposed to words that tear down, words that are bitter, words that are uh, harsh. There's a change. See, every single one of us in here knows what it's like to have bitter waters flow out. But that's why the book of James is important. This ought not to be. Guys, we should not be a source of both salty water, bitter water, and fresh water simultaneously. Choose which one you're going to give. Now, I can almost speak for every one of us in here and say, I really would like to give the fresh water. I'm not exactly sure how that works consistently because I feel very susceptible to giving the yuck stuff, to saying things I shouldn't say. This is where we need to actually make a deliberate agreement point with God. God, I have need of you to control this tongue. In and of myself, I'm not doing it. I recognize I need you to do it. You know, this is what Christianity is built around, guys. You could do this with any area of your life, okay? Sexuality. You try and control your manhood if you're a man and all that goes with it, your femininity if you're a woman and all that goes with it, and that includes a lot, and you need to deliberately say, God, in and of myself, I can't do this. I can't showcase what a godly man is in myself, but I know you can. So take over this body. I remember uh, A.W. Tozer saying, and this is as if he was speaking to me in, in the book, it used to be called The Divine Conquest. I think it's God's Pursuit of Man now is what it's called. But this is as if he was writing it to me. Eric, you have keys to your house, and right now you're still holding them. You know all about God and you know that he's purchased this house and you know that it belongs to him. Why are you still holding the keys? I want you to give up those keys to him. Let him come in and do whatever he wants in your body. Eric, if you want this thing to work, he needs to be the one working. Listen to this. Faithful is he who has called us who also will do it. The secret to Christianity is not you attempting to control your tongue. It's you submitting your tongue to Jesus. For some, for some of us, we're actually afraid of submitting our tongue to Jesus lest we might actually speak in tongues. You know that, that kind of tongues that some of us are afraid of? It's like, oh God, okay, I'm gonna hold on to my tongue until you give me a guarantee that nothing weird is gonna come out of me. No such guarantees offered in scripture. In other words, when you give him your tongue, that means you speak what he speaks. And that's not easy. By the way, the guy talking to you right now understands how hard this is. My, one of the, you know, we all have sort of senses. We have a sense of, uh, you know, style, a sense of humor. All of us sort of are gifted with something. And some of us are seriously lacking in some of those senses. But we all have these senses. One of my senses is I have a sense of audience. I know who's in the room, and I know what they think. Some of you are like, he knows what I'm thinking? (laughs) Sort of. It's a weird thing, but it's a vibe thing. It's like I can sense an audience, you know what that tells me? All throughout my ministry, this has told me, I know when there's a hostile crowd. And I know when they don't want me to say certain things. And I know what would cause them to laugh, and I know what would cause them to get mad at me. I don't like that knowledge. Technically, it's a lot easier being a speaker when you don't know those things, and you just sort of you know, speak it and let it fly, and you don't know any different. But I know, which makes it so much more challenging to allow God to have my tongue. God, you're not gonna ask me to speak that, are you? This is some of my early discussions with God, on this exact point. Okay, God. I'm just going to get it out. I'm afraid that you're going to ask me to speak on uh-uh and uh uh-uh. back back when I was young the issue was I was so afraid he was going to ask me to speak on music. Uh, I was really afraid of that because there was this thing called backmasking. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it's like in these music bands would stick in some type of evil thing and if you played it backwards. And I was so afraid that God was going to have me go around the world and speak on backmasking. It's like, God, you get, that's ridiculous. I don't want to be the guy doing that. I was so afraid, praise God, that he hasn't asked me up to this point. Now that I'm bringing it up, God's like, oh, that's a good idea. Uh. But the point is, I was afraid to let my tongue be his tongue to allow my tongue to speak what he would want me to speak because let's be honest, God isn't hip. God is not cool in this world. And so to stand with him and to ally with him and let this tongue represent him is not going to do good to my reputation. And yet, you want to know how your tongue is supposed to work, you need to give it to Jesus Christ. Which means there's going to be some juicy moments where you want to retaliate and Jesus says, "Hey, that tongue's mine." You know when you get falsely accused, there's nothing better to do than to make it clear where they're wrong. And yet, that tongue is no longer yours. And God could say, <clears throat> "It's time to be quiet." Oh, that's hard. And yet, that's how you reveal the kingdom of heaven. This tongue, whether it's speaking or it's silent, is the secret key that declares to all the heavenlies, that is occupied territory. Jesus holds that territory. It's even proof to you. When you find yourself holding your tongue where you'd usually be very obnoxiously loud, you recognize, God is doing something in my life. When you, re- when you find yourself speaking boldly, like in the Philippines, uh, in front of a big crusade, and you're not the sort of person that would typically do it, it's a signal that God owns you. Why am I doing this? You ever come up to someone on the streets, uh, Fort Collins, and just start saying, hey, do you know Jesus? That's not normal for this tongue, right? And yet when you see yourself willing to do it, it's actually a signal of life inside of you. This is occupied territory. Adam's Lego or Christ's Lego? Which speech are you choosing? You have to transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have to repent and put off the old behaviors. The old way of speaking no longer fits us. It is not befitting to us that are believers. It doesn't fit into this model anymore. That's not, that's not right. Christ must have our tongue. Scrapping the old Lego collection and grabbing hold of this amazing new one. You ever heard these words? This is the way Adam speaks. I'm unwanted. Ever had that? It's typically understood as self-pity, right? But I tell you what, Adam is great at speaking self-pity. Now, you may not say it out loud, but you still say it. I'm unwanted. Do you know that the word of God, when you allow Christ to speak in your life, I mean, it changes you in every regard. When his word speaks, When you allow him to Lego in and through your soul, in and through your life, it profoundly changes you. So Adam can say all he wants that you're unwanted. What does the word of God say? Oh, quite the opposite. You are wanted, so desperately so that God gave his only begotten son to rescue you. He predestined us to adoption as sons. He made us accepted in the beloved, fact. You see, that's the Lego of Christ speaking. When you allow Christ to speak instead of Adam to speak, instead of the old man to speak, instead of the flesh to speak, instead of the devil to speak in your life, it changes you. I'm unforgivable. You ever had that one? Oh God, I've done so many bad things. I'm unforgivable. That is nonsense when you look at the word of truth, when you look at what Jesus Christ has said. In him we have the forgiveness of sins. I'm undesirable. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In Christ, we who were far off have been brought near to God by the blood of Jesus. We are no longer strangers and foreigners to the household of God. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are now of the household of God. We are not cut off. The Lego of the twice-born, the way we speak, the way this tongue now works, because when I say that we speak with new tongues, we immediately go to the, the version of speaking in tongues that is oftentimes associated just with the charismatics. When, here's what I want us to expand our understanding on. If you don't have a new tongue, you don't have a new life. How, it does not mean you have to speak in a foreign tongue, a foreign language, but you need to have a new tongue. This tongue needs to be the tongue of Christ. It needs to speak what he would speak boldly as he would speak it. The Lego of the twice-born. Acts 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what did they speak? If you skip forward to verse 11, what did they speak? They spoke the wonderful works of God. You see, this new tongue that is coming in I'm not saying it cannot speak in a foreign language a language that maybe you wouldn't understand or someone else, no one else in this room would understand. However, whatever tongue is being spoken in the chief form that I want you to understand is that it is speaking the wonderful works of God. It is speaking to the glory of God. That is occupied territory. The tongue set on fire by the fires of heaven. So I don't know much about combustion engines, but this is sort of like it. You're either going to be set on fire by the fires of hell and be producing, with this tongue, things that kill and destroy. Or you're going to be set on fire by the fires of heaven, and it's going to carry this life. Though it it is the smallest member of the body, it's like a rudder on the ship, and it's gonna steer the entire course of your life. So what would it look like, a tongue that is set on fire by the fires of heaven? Well, here's some attributes. It's humble. This tongue does not speak with pride. It is willing to be silent at the very moments that it wants to defend itself, and it's willing to speak difficult things that would even make this one look bad, like confessing a sin, for instance. It's humble, it's willing to agree with God. It's willing, that's a big one for many of us. Many of us have a tongue that's like, okay, I love Jesus, but I'm unwilling to speak about Jesus. I'm unwilling to confess my sin. I'm unwilling to ever encourage people that haven't already encouraged me. Look, I'm I'm willing to say certain things, but hey, there's certain things I'm not willing to do. You see, the tongue set on fire by the fires of heaven is a tongue that's willing to say, yes, Lord, this tongue is yours. It's loving. Every single thing that comes out of this tongue is full of love, it's motivated by love. It's kind. It's truthful. It doesn't speak lies. It speaks truth. This is the new tongue. It's merciful. It's encouraging. Now there's actually a whole bunch of things we could put in there. That's just a sampling to sort of get us going and understanding that God desires to transform us in how we use this. Every single one of us in here probably has a degree of conviction already just in bringing this up because we are so susceptible to allowing in that salt water, in and through this thing known as the tongue. And we have hurt the people closest to us. It's funny, because you can gather in church and be extremely nice, but then you go home and when you're around people that you're familiar with, they get more of what you really speak like. And here's what I would like to say. I would like to touch that exact issue. I would like us to be the best with those that we are close to. That does not mean that when we get to church we start saying, now I can get it out. Now I can get on all the bad stuff. It's just that I want us to practice there. I do not want to excuse ourselves there. In other words, if you're behaving at home in a way that you would be ashamed if everyone in here was watching, well then let's put our finger on that and say that's not right. That ought not to be, dear brothers. In other words, If this body could witness the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your kids, if you're one of the children in the hell, how you speak to your brothers and sisters, how you speak to your parents, if they were to witness that, that they would be inspired. We all know how easy it is to do it wrong, but I'm I'm saying it the opposite direction. Hey, if you have need of a savior in this exact area, call on him. This is what he desires to do. He desires to take that tongue of yours and use it for his glory. The new Lego or the new way of speaking. It's a multifaceted weapon of warfare. Okay, now remember how I started out and I divided this sort of schematic of growth of mystery of the kingdom of heaven unto clarity in the kingdom of heaven? If I'm gonna preach something or I'm gonna teach something, it always starts in the mysterious zone. It's not like I only have lived in the mystery back when I first became a Christian, oh, there's all sorts of things in Scripture. When I get to them, it's like, okay, God, we're back at that mystery. And it's sort of the unknown tongue, if you want to say it. I look at Scripture and I go, okay, I can read it, but I don't really understand that fully. And so there is a formation of thought in and through a dependency, a groaning. A leaning on God okay and if I was going to describe speaking in tongues so the, the what most of us would understand is speaking in tongues that's my use of it it's it's actually a dependency a crying out to God to say God coordinate me with your truth so that I understand it I know it and I can walk in it what that leads to is what I'm gonna say three through seven it leads to a greater clarity of action because as far as I'm concerned Christianity is an action thing. It's, it's, a, it's a verb. You're doing something. When you're believing, that's a verb. When you're legoing, it's a verb. In other words, you're doing something, and that's the way the kingdom of heaven is built. Not just be hearers, but doers. So what is the doing? Well, there's a very real thing that God wants us to be doing. I think Judah said it in the announcements. It's like, if this world is going to be changed for Christ, it's because someone's praying. You see, this tongue has to be activated. You may not have a job or a position to teach yet, You may not have a job or a position to preach yet. You may not have a job or a position that you actually know of yet for evangelism, even though some of you are like, hey, you could be doing these, that's right, you could. I'm just saying there is a formation that takes place in us so that we are prepared to give something clear, to give something competent, to give something sharp, like the word of God itself to the world that's dying around us. And that's in this three through seven zone. And I'm going to say this form of speaking is a multifaceted weapon of warfare that, if wielded by the Holy Spirit, is unstoppable in its requests, undeniable in its claims and unbeatable in its commands. Second uh, Corinthians 10:4. Now remember, I, I said that I'm, I'm weaving together two key themes. One is spiritual gifts, and the other is the spirit war. Very difficult to know how to coordinate. But i'm going to say that if we're going to function together i want us to function together towards a common end in other words i don't want us to just remain for instance when i talk about spiritual gifts if all of you think well we're going to finally speak in tongues in here i actually don't think that speaking in tongues is the chief operation of a church I think what we typically are going to do in a time like this is we're going to be teaching we're gonna be preaching so that we can all go out better equipped and inspired to share the gospel but three through seven is something we share together where we are exhorting one another we're cheering each other on see this is where I want to begin to exercise something more which maybe begins to activate some of that which is inside of each of us practically the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for the pulling down of strongholds what in the world are those weapons there's a lot more to this than what i'm going to give today like for instance obedience obedience could be a weapon right there i'm not going to mention obedience even though it's it's an obvious weapon how about sharing the gospel yeah preaching That could be a weapon. How about going out and just coming up to someone and saying, hey, I love you, brother. Yeah, that could be a weapon that could actually disarm that enemy resistance in their life. So all of those things are, yes, weapons, but there's very specific things I want to bring out today that maybe are not normal things to bring out. The human tongue, a strange sort of weapon. Now, it's funny because when I say the tongue is a weapon, you all know what I mean by that. However, we know what it means in Adam. We know what it means to have the tongue actually harm people, but do we know how the tongue is meant to be used by God as a weapon for his work? It's a strange thought that God's, one of God's chosen vehicles is this tongue, if not his key one. He takes the weakest member, the smallest member in our bodies is that one. I'm gonna choose that one to do great things. Yeah, that's what he's done. He's chosen this tongue. When this tongue gets uh, taken hostage by the devil, it's powerful. And it's just a little guy. This little tongue thing. It's not that big, and yet it can destroy. I mean, Karl Marx, with well, of course you would say that you know he wrote it out, but his manifesto, his statement on what Marxism was and ultimately communism, one guy communicating, and it literally took down nations, killed hundreds of millions of people. Okay? That's power. That's a power that we wish he wasn't wielding, but it's set on fire by the fires of hell. What happens when the same ability to lego, to speak, to say, is gained by the Holy Spirit? One man, one woman can change the world. That's the vision I want you to catch. I want you to recognize that, yes, it's a dangerous thing to give your life over to Jesus, to say, all of me belongs to you. And whatever you see fit to do with this as your delivery vehicle, you do it. This tongue is where he starts. That's why most Christians start with confession of sin. And then how about baptism, with confession of faith? This is where it all begins. They say, God is right and this behavior was wrong but I believe what he did on the cross was for me, so I don't just confess my sin, but I confess my faith in him. That when he died on that cross, I shared in that death. And that when he was buried, I, my old man was buried, and when he rose again to newness of life, I now have a new birth in Christ Jesus. I am a new creature. And when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, I am in him, seated in heavenly places. He's, been, he's brought me near to the Father. And now I ask the Father, in the name of Jesus for his Holy Spirit to live inside of me so this life I live in this body down here on this earth can function as it's supposed to function, not by my ability, but by his. And that is the great secret of how Christianity works. Hudson Taylor called it the exchanged life. It's not me attempting to control my tongue, me attempting to control my sexuality, me attempting to live out Christianity. It's Christ in me living it. But to do that, you have to give these things up. You have to give up your body. You have to give up your time. You have to give up your right to defend yourself. You have to give up your right to speak and sound intelligent to everyone around you. Paul says, I'm an I'm idiotes to the world, which is where the word idiot came from. He was willing to become a fool. He was willing to become an idiot in the perception of the world around him so that his tongue could be used by God to speak. So I'm going to go through the history of war, and what you're going to see, uh, weapons of the Revolutionary War, muskets, pistols, rifles, long knives, knives, bayonets, tomahawks, axes, swords, sabers, pole arms, and cannons. All right, now some of you are like, what does this have to do with anything? Well, let's move on. Weapons of the Civil War, rifled muskets, breech loaders, repeating weapons, field guns, artillery, early grenades, early machine guns, knives, swords, and ironclad warships. What you're going to see in the history of wars, there's a constant development of weapons. And, I mean, I'm only going 150 years, uh, but you get up to World War I, rifles, machine guns, flamethrowers, isn't that a cool statement? Mortars, artillery, poison gas, tanks, aircraft, and submarines. There's a constant development. Now here, I'm just contrasting this with something. The ever powerful weapons of Heaven's war chest. They're the same, they have the same power today to effectively bring the glory of Jesus Christ to this earth as back in the day. There is no migration, there's no novelization of his warfare. Same tools that Paul used work like nuclear weapons today. Same tools. There's not an evolution of weaponry in the kingdom of heaven. When you read the scriptures, you get the best stuff. We have been dished out everything we need for life and godliness. And the word of God is the same today as it was then and it'll always be. This is the weapon of our warfare. This is how it works. And so the reason I'm saying that is because if you study warfare, there's a constant progression. They're always studying how they can do it better, how they can kill more people with one, one shot, with you know, the most efficient way of doing warfare. For us, we have it. The General of Generals has given us exactly what we need to do to change the world. There is no need to modify it, no need to improve upon it, it works. Weapons of the heavenly war, around 33 AD, because no one exactly knows the year in which Christ died, but you know, for argument's sake, we'll just say 33 AD, right? To present day, here they are. Now this is not the full list, but I'm gonna show you how this tongue can be wielded. Now part of this came out of my study on the spirit war a month and a half ago i gave you guys a message called the strategy of war very significant message for me but i'm wrestling with something and that is in battle not everyone does the same thing and i see that just like and i've used the term you know i've used the metaphor the analogy of football probably too much in here because i some of you immediately start to fade out the moment i start bringing it up football makes total sense to me and that's why it's so hard for me i grew up studying football i knew everything about football but it's a team sport it's not like tennis it's a team sport in other words when you go out you recognize your position in a team and you know what you are supposed to do and there's a play and every one of you in that play has a different role to carry about the same end you follow me this is exactly the same with war and battle you're all doing the same thing, but you all have a different role. For instance, if you're a tank driver, it's very different than being a marksman. You are doing something very specific, but you need to know that that's your role. And in the Church of Jesus Christ today, we don't have the organization for that. So we just sort of say, yeah, figure out your role. And they are all like, okay. We bounce on our toes, and go, good. Yeah, I have, we have no idea what our role is. If we were a football team, we would stink. Because we would get out there and we'd sort of go, what do, you, what do you do with this thing? I think we're supposed to score a touchdown, okay? How do you do that? Well, you need to know the line of scrimmage, you need to know that you have an enemy, and their entire goal is to stop your forward movement. You need to understand where you fit in this and how you handle that ball. Because some of us don't handle the ball, what we do is we block for the person that handles the ball. Some of us have to be ready to catch it because it's coming our way. And if we're not ready, if our eyes are shut, if we're sitting there just sort of doing snow angels in the, uh, in, on the turf, we're not going to be ready. In other words, there is a need for engagement, but all of us need to be wide awake. We need to know the play call. You follow me? So this is why these things are stirring inside of me because I know personally how to do what I'm teaching you. What I'm struggling with is how to do these things in a body. And you've heard me say that maybe a few times, but that's my great perplexing issue because there's an idea inside of me. It's like, why don't I just let everyone do what I did, which is just sort of figure it out. I've had to figure these things out. And I know that if you just follow the Holy Spirit, he'll help you figure them out too, but that doesn't mean we're working together. I have a genuine desire to be a team, to be an army, to actually understand the strategy of God, or if in football terms, the game plan, the actual call of the play, so that we move in harmony and agreement with one another. If one of you needs blocked, I block for you. If the ball is coming my way, I'm ready to catch it. If I'm throwing the ball to you, you're alert. Hey, buddy, 88. Get your eyes open. It hits you. You know, have you ever seen a ball get stuck in someone's uh, uh, what, helmet? I like to throw it at you, John Elway's out. Well, start running. <laughs> there is a need for us to be aware. When we show up at church, most of you are used to seeing us play a little football on the stage, catch, you know, back and forth as opposed to all of us engaging. Now here's the amazing thing about our church. We are doing this. I would say in the beginning forms, like even what was happening this past Friday, what's been happening at the International House, what's happening in the jail, all these things is actually the movement of the body doing it. All of these ministries for children, the different things that are taking place, this is all the movement and you guys are the ones participating in it. So what I have just a desire for is more of that to an increased degree where there is a oneness in our movement, as opposed to some of you are like, you know what, I'm tired of waiting around for this church to sort of get their act together, so I'm gonna go and do this. That's the latent frustration that just exists, because we're a church that is having a tough time getting our act together, if you wanna say it that way. If you're part of the leadership, you know why it's hard. You know why it isn't just easy to quote unquote get your act together. It's hard to know how to biblically move a body into position. How do I figure out who the wide receivers are, who the tight ends are, who the linemen are supposed to be, who the fullback is supposed to be, who the quarterback's supposed to be? How do we define these things? How do I know what your spiritual gift is? How do I figure that out? Do I just pray and say, God, what is their spiritual gift? Or do I come to you and you say, here's my spiritual gift? I go, okay, I need you over here then. You see, in football, it's a little easier. All right, we got a tall, lanky guy who runs fast. Weighs about, you know, 180. We're gonna stick him as wide receiver. Okay, we got a big, huge guy, about 700 pounds, doesn't move at all. We'll make him the center. It's a little easier because you can measure things that way. We're a funny body because our strengths are internal. They're not always external, especially spiritual strengths. Some of you have natural giftings which give a giveaway at a certain level, but then you have spiritual giftings which aren't obvious at first blush. You have to get to know people to know how they're built, and that's part of what the body of Christ is built on, is time spent. Well, it's easier said than done, and that's why it's easier to have smaller groups than a bigger group. And it's easier to exercise some of the things we're talking about in smaller groups than it is in bigger ones. Because in a bigger one, you're just gonna pick a few people that are obvious, and you're gonna put them in charge, as opposed to if we break up into smaller groups, we can actually figure out how to do this. When we do our early morning prayer in here during Ellerslie, we have discovered certain things that are extremely powerful. And one of them is that we break up into smaller groups and we tackle multiple things simultaneous. As opposed to, okay, there's different models for prayer, for instance. Like we could all be in here together and all pray for one thing and one person prays. The rest are in agreement going amen, amen, amen. And that's perfectly fine. That's a perfectly valid form of prayer. But then, but there's an efficiency issue, especially when you see how many things we could be praying for. So one of the things that we've done is we'll oftentimes streamline. It's it's an efficiency issue, yes. But we'll break up into smaller groups and we'll all have a task. And oftentimes, as some of you know, we'll even have one group which is assigned to do nothing but to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ, oftentimes through song. And so they'll be singing, sometimes in the middle, they'll be singing at the top of their lungs the glory of Jesus Christ while the other people are praying. It's extremely powerful. Okay, so here's what I'm bringing up. Just because I've tasted it, I don't know how it would work as a body, but it excites me to sort of poke at it, to see what happens. And that is I'm going to lay out seven different operations of Lego, of speaking and speech that we have been given as weapons. And if we were to all get together and just like in a military movement, just like in a football game, have a role, and we know what we are going after, and we were to do these things, I don't know, it just gets me smiling. The shout of faith. Now, for certain personalities, this is like the opposite direction of where you really wanna go, Uh, the shout. Who are the shouters in here? There's always shouters. There's always people that love to shout, right? They're usually the ones that go, amen, amen, hallelujah. Those guys are shouters. Uh, now, I'm not a shouter. Like, have you ever had it where the, the, the speaker will say, can you, you know, look to the person next to you and say this? I'm always, like, reticent to do it. I always want to come up with my own thing, sort of rebel. It's like they tell me to say, you know, tell them that you love them. And I'm gonna like, hi, how are you doing today? You know, I'm going to do something a little different just to throw a curveball at it. So I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm a shouter, okay, by, by nature. But there's another term for this, the song of faith. In other words, there is a need for the use of the tongue to speak things, but not always in a normal sentence structure, but sometimes in poetry, sometimes in what's called a spiritual song. There is a song, a a resounding song that is meant to come forth from us as believers. And I'm going to say that this is actually a tactical thing in this war. It's the purposeful, proactive declaration of faith Through praise, worship, thanksgiving, and rejoicing. One of my favorite scriptures on that is Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands... Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generation. Now, every single one of these things, I'm gonna say, even if you feel uncomfortable, what I want you to do is yield your tongue and say, God, if you want me shouting, I'll shout. I've had this happen many times. I remember my first shout. I don't know what my background is, but it's very different than shouting. I don't don't know how to describe this. I would shout during football games, but in church, I remember my mom, I was cheering at a football game, and my mom said, if you cheered that loudly for Jesus as you do for John Elway, wow, what would happen in this world? I'm thinking, oh, thanks, mom, for ruining my football game. But you don't Cheer for Jesus. You don't shout for Jesus. So I remember I was out in a field. I went out into a field. Everyone else was in uh, this main room doing something, and so I went as far away from the group as I could, out in this field. Looked around to make sure no one was there, and I was Jesus. I did it. I shouted, guys. Now I know that might sound like, well, you hear me shout a lot from up here. You're like, oh, it's easy for him. It isn't if it's like random. Okay, so if I'm in my car driving down the road and I'm like, look out the window, Jesus! That's just not. I'm still socially sensitive to the fact that that isn't normal. And yet, you just know our God that He's—that's the type of thing He's talking about, right? He's like, hey, shout for joy, right? Right now. Don't I have your tongue? It's like, not now, not now, God. I've had that thought in like Starbucks. It's like, God, I'm, I'm not thinking that thought right now. I didn't have that thought. You don't really want me to do that right now. Jesus! Sorry, I'm just going to sit down and get back to my word. Okay, so we had the shout of faith. Now we have the proclamation of faith. Now I want you to just imagine that all these things, like a military maneuver, like an offensive team moving down the field, that were all coordinated at the same time. You're going to also notice that a lot of these things overlap, but that's the same with the military. You know that when you are responsible as uh, artillery, you're covering a certain range. The next group of artillery is covering and it overlaps your range. In other words, you're not just going to have a, 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 a sharp line there. The same is true with these. The proclamation of faith, or also known as the confession of faith, the declaration of scripture, the clear pronouncement of the facts of God's nature and work of redemption and of our position as believers in it. I, Eric Lutie, am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in this body is lived by faith in the Son of God. When he was crucified, I was crucified. My old man is dead. When he was buried, I was buried. My old man is now no longer visible. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected unto a new creature, unto a new life in Christ Jesus. When he ascended, I ascended with him. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All things are under his feet. Now I know as a believer in Christ that all things are under my feet. And I have the anticipation and the very clear strength of faith that he is returning for his children again someday very soon. You see, this is a confession or a proclamation of faith. This is the basis of what I build my life on. This is what we build our life on. It is a confession of the most basic elements of what faith is uh, established upon. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, that's the, name, the proper name for God, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. So that's called the proclamation of faith. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. It's a command. The request of faith. Also known as the petition, the ask of faith. Now, most of us, when we think of prayer, we think of this. We think of an ask. It is a very real part of faith, but it's one dimension of how we utilize this tongue. See, all of these things, if I were to say, what is this? Would you call it prayer? Not necessarily, but it is prayer. It is the functionality of the church in its engagement with the heavenly realms. We are not necessarily speaking to men when we say these things. We are being prepared to actually effectively speak to men or for others to effectively speak to men. And when I say men, it also means women. So asking boldly in accordance with the word of God. So what are you asking from? What's your source? What God promises, what he says. And now you're going after it. That could be a soul. That could be something that is taking place politically or governmentally in our world. That could be for foreign leaders, could be for our leaders in our country. It's for the disturbance of souls unto salvation, where they would be awakened, they would be stirred, that the course of events in history would be steered towards God's ends, not towards the enemies. What are we asking for? We're asking big as the body. We're asking yes for individual things in this body and we're asking beyond this body. As Jesus says, with his, you know, remember that cord uh, that he comes into the, uh, the temple of God and clears out the temple from the money changers? He says, this temple is a house of prayer for all nations. That's what it's supposed to be. We are that body, guys, we are that temple. This is a house of prayer for all nations. So we're not just praying for us, we're praying beyond that. But we need to get out of the mystery into this dimension of battle so that we can effectively deliver the goods unto this generation. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So this is a good corporate body statement. In other words, there's all sorts of scripture that says ask. But this one actually makes it very clear. Look, if two or three gather together touching anything, it will be done for them. In other words, when we group together as a body in agreement in faith, big things happen. Number four, the gap fill of faith also known as the intercession of faith. Spiritually identifying in the sufferings of others, voicing their needs before the throne of grace so that they might be preserved and made strong. So this is where we allow God's burdens to be our burdens. When you're in Adam, you don't care about a dying world. When you enter into Christ, not only does he get your tongue, but he gets your heart. And you find yourself strangely burdened for things. Now imagine if a group of 10 of us is together and we say, hey, what's burdening you? When you can answer that question, suddenly we have some raw material to begin to fight for. Because as we live in the presence of God, we're burdened for what's burdening God. In other words, you don't need to just like read down a list of burdens. The Spirit of God can burden you. And when we gather together, we take the burdens of the body very seriously. There could be someone in here right now with a very significant burden. What do we do as the body? We listen to that. Almost as if our big toe is like, what would we do? We'd listen to it. In other words when the body is speaking to us through burden we carry that need and oftentimes this will lead to you crying over people that you don't even know this will lead to aches and pains in your inner man that make no sense to you in the natural but are actually gifts to you by the holy spirit why do you care because god cares and this is how a christian is meant to function imagine if We begin to pray for those that were underprivileged, those that were vulnerable, those that were weak, and we allowed God's burden to be our burden. That's a gap fill. Philippians 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is Paul speaking. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ even as it is appropriate for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ, which means the deepest affections. Paul was stirred in the deepest affections for the church at Philippi. And so what we see is, again, he's the gap filler. And so he's bringing them up before God constantly he's aching for them he knows the challenges against the church at philippi and so as a result he carries that burden the rebuke of faith so when i gave the message a strategy of god one of the things i was bringing up is this there's all sorts of terms in scripture for instance binding loosing wrestling we wrestle not against flesh and blood but we do wrestle against wrestle against spiritual powers tearing down revenging is actually a term used in uh, to the corinthian church it's like what are these things and how do you do them one of the i'm going to say one of the overarching terms to describe it all is what we could call rebuke that rebuke is to deny any more access for that enemy he has no right and so as a result we learn how to fight this battle it's all rebuking all that we're doing is nullifying the power of the enemy we have this it's called the rebuke of faith so also known as the command of faith you are given authority in this realm and god says uh you sort of need to lego you need to use this thing guys you need to wield it the devil's getting away with all sorts of nonsense you're like i don't know what to do you need to use the weapons that you have been entrusted so the tactical binding loosing wrestling resisting and throwing down of the enemy camp for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. The stand of faith. We have two more of these. The stand of faith. This is the bold declaration through Scripture of the great and precious promises of god his triumph over the powers of darkness and a faith filled stand in those very promises so when i use the term proclamation what i'm saying is this is like a confession of faith this the stand of faith is the delivery of all the promise i mean this is the gusto i I always call it immovable this is like the immovable soul what's it standing on rock do you know that rock speak that rock No weapon fashioned against Eric Ludy will stand. You can say, how do you know that? Because the rock has told me. The word of God has stated it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. If God is for me, then who can stand against me? You see, when you have the promise of scripture, it makes you stout in battle. It's a stand. You're not going to retreat. There is a flinch dimension to every single one of us When it looks like the enemy is powerful, when bullets are whizzing, we have a cowardice that begins to come out. And it's called retreat. In the armor of God, there is no armor for the back. There is no retreating in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, we are told to stand, to stand. But to stand, you better have a good foundation. And so what we do is we repeat that foundation, one unto each other you need to be reminded, you need to be reminded. When Les and I hit a difficult trial, the first thing we oftentimes will say to each other is let's get rock beneath our feet. Because when you're feeling unstable, get rock, and then you stand. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Number seven, this is an unusual one that most of us maybe have never considered. I'm going to call it the cover fire of faith. Now, I don't know if that's the best term for it, but have, have you ever heard? Because I, I've never been in the military, okay? There's a lot of other people that could talk about this far better than I can. But whenever you see like one of those action movies where some guy needs to get from here to there, but they all, all the enemy has their guns trained on him, then they say, I'll cover you. That's what they say. I've never been in those situations, never had a gun and, and tried to cover someone. However, they'll like make a whole bunch of noise, and this one guy will run through and make it because there was cover fire. And the enemy was distracted with cover fire so this guy could get through, right? And so that's what actually Scripture teaches us. Paul actually exhorts the church to give cover fire for him. He says, look, guys, I'm doing something very significant here. I need some cover fire. Isn't that just an interesting way of looking at it? In other words, it's different than just intercession for the weak. It's also intercession for the strong. Paul was not weak, but he still needed cover fire. So, AKA, also known as the watch of faith, praying for the other people, wrestling, warring, and actively standing. What Dwight is setting up for this Friday night is cover fire. Half the group is going to be back at his house, while the other group is going to uh, do ministry. And what's that group doing? Cover fire because there's gonna be spiritual battle that's going to be awakened in and through that engagement. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Hey guys, don't forget to pray for me, says Paul. Give me some cover fire, guys, watch for me. You see, there's a lot of activity that I just named. And you could feel a little overwhelmed by, wow, there's seven actions. And that's not even teaching, preaching, and evangelizing. That's this middle ground. It's not just praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. It's actually an active engagement with real words that are real clear, that are based on the truth of scripture that we exercise in here, why? so that our teaching, our preaching, and our sharing of the gospel would be effective and that hearts would be changed, lives would be transformed, and the kingdom of heaven would be populated. There's a harvest out there and it's white and we need to go after it, but we cannot skip this military engagement. This is where we ally, we join forces together and we say, okay, this is a lot for one person to do, but it's not a lot for a body to do. You see, if we as a body begin to function together, utilizing the giftings that we have, in this use of our tongue, effectively, hmm, watch out world. Getting the new Lego collection built up. So the Lego, this is in summary, it's the Christ-captured, spirit-controlled, and magnificently honorable tongue, directed to speak with boldness, kindness, mercy, and love. It's yours in Christ Jesus. You tired of an old tongue? Swap it out. Put off the old tongue, clothe yourself with a new tongue. This is a gift of grace in Christ Jesus. The Logos, the word of God, Jesus Christ. That which the captured, controlled tongue boldly, kindly, mercifully, and lovingly speaks. So if you have a Christ-captured tongue, what are you gonna be speaking? The Logos. That's what you speak, you're speaking the glory of Christ. Logizomai, I like this word. Doing precisely what the Logos says to do. You know that this is actually a verb that is built on Logos, which is built on the verb uh, Lego. And so what you have is, listen to this, if this Logos is true, what are you gonna do about it? If God has really given you this, a new tongue, what are you gonna do about it? I say this to my kids all the time. I'm just gonna set, imagine that I set this great meal on the coffee table, and you're hungry. And I said, that's yours. What are you gonna do about it? Uh, is this a trick question? No, it's not a trick question. What are you gonna do about it? I even hand you a fork. What are you gonna do? I guess I'd eat it. Ah, that's, that's right. You see, there would be an action. That's Logizomine. If the truth of God's word is in fact truth, what are you gonna do? I, I guess I would do it. Yes, that's right. You would do what it asks you to do. You wouldn't just stare at it and go, hmm, good meal. Hmm, smells good. You know, go to some Bible trivia camp and answer all the questions about it. Well, so one of the ice creams looked, you know, uh, gooey and soft and had a lot of sugar in it. I bet. In other words, you could have all the trivia, but you need to dig into it. You need to partake of it. A new tongue is available too. You take it, logizomai. So repenting when it says repent believing when it says believe obeying where it says obey standing where it says stand resisting where it says resist loving where it says love and legoing when it says to lego logikos it's the obvious logical reasonable next step if the logos is really true so it's only logikos guys that if you have a new tongue awaiting you and you, you hate your old tongue and you're sick and tired of what your old tongue is doing. And by the way, don't think of the people around you. That's what happens, especially family members are nearby. It's like, this person really needs to hear that one. Every single one of us, don't think about anyone else in this. I want us to think about our tongue. If you know that you need fresh water coming out of your life, then I want you to repent and believe. I want you to give up your old tongue and say, God, I want a new tongue. I want your tongue. I want you to handle this part of my being the way you intend to handle it. It's only logikos. It's obvious, it's logical, it's reasonable, and it's the next step if what the Word of God says is really true.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.